pray the prayer of Psalm 117, you'll see that the pace is in the lines. Ready? Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Isn't it wonderful to know that in the darkness he is faithful? In the times of chaos and crisis, he is faithful. In the times of celebration and centering, the worship of his faithfulness. This is day 15 of our everyday uh, prayer initiative. 117 days, which seems like uh, forever. But yet, it is the discipline of our hearts and our souls that God desires for us to, to be praying for our church, praying for the actual physical plant, praying for what we do in ministry, what he is allowing us to be able to do, praying for the transition of, of new leader, praying that we might continue to make an impact and bring Jesus to a community in need. Uh, we, it's never ending. And then I would say to us that, that each of us could be praying for one another and praying for our own selves, that we are constantly in the grip and in our mindset, the grip of his faithfulness. I think that is wonderful. Do you hear the children downstairs? That was awesome. Not pre-planned, I don't think. That was great. They are rocking downstairs. Oh, Kingdom life. Last week we were in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to continue in Matthew chapter 4. Speaking of, of what it is to be called, uh, we have these passages in the Gospels that the disciples were called. And in that, we, <clears throat> we at that point, I think sometimes we, we hear the word calling and, and rightly so uh, try to you know, almost get confused with it. And in the westernized church, and, and even, even in the, the eastern church, there has been something that is good leadership-wise, but application has been the toughest thing, I personally think, on the modern church. And that is a, a clergy-laity gap. There's, you've got the clergy who are called, right? They're the professional ones. And then there's the rest of us. And what I really believe is that there, there, there is a calling and there is specific callings. But if we're not careful, those of us on the ordinary side of things, we'll lose the, the penetration of what, what God really wants to do through us and through the life of the church. And so if you're new to First Christian, you'll, you'll, if you can hang around with us long enough, we have the professionals, we have the paid folk. But what we try to do is understand that each of us, each of us that are in Christ, are, are someone that is, that is in, 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 you know, worshiping and, and serving one king, Jesus. And it is his kingdom that reigns. And that when he comes onto the scene, he certainly works and interacts with those who were in the know and those who were the, 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 you know, the professionals. But he, we're going to see in this Gospel of Matthew, as he speaks with his agenda... This beautiful picture of how the, the king of kings comes onto the scene and he opens up his kingdom for everyone. It's unusual. There's, there, there are no levels or gaps. I mean, there's one king and the rest are all equal. Isn't that like us, though? We like to try to get ourselves to, uh, to, to, to kind of make sure that there's a difference between us, right? We have race issues. We have... 
classism, racism, sexism. We have all of these isms, right, that, that we go, we scream loud and clear to culture going, that's not right. But yet, in our own hearts, we're trying to clean out, clean it out, clean it out. Because that's what we were born into, the chaos. Even in our, our, our groups and in schools and so forth, our, in places of employment, if we can just get a subtle difference, then we feel more, a little more comfortable with our group. Well, they're the nerds. See, there were, we had like three groups. We had nerds, jocks, and, and, and we called them freak dogs. That's just what we called them. It's kind of the back end of the 70s, right? But the freak dogs were your drug users. But then again, you become a jock, and then you know they're frocks. Because some of the freak dogs were driving. Oh my gosh, you see, we can drive ourselves crazy. We're trying to delineate. Well, see, Jesus comes onto the scene and he's, listen, listen, this calling is for a specific group of men that we're going to read in the text today. But I think if we really look at the, the teaching of what Matthew is trying to express to us through the whole of his gospel, is that the law and the prophets are to be fulfilled through the rabbinical code, he doesn't deny anything of, of what the rabbis would teach, as much proclaimed that he was the fulfillment and that all of those that would then follow him would be continuous lights in the fulfillment of what God desired. Last week we learned that, that Jesus learned of John's uh, imprisonment and then he heads north to Galilee. Galilee was, is, is an area that is uh, both Jew and Gentile. He didn't escape the leader of Rome at the time. He was about 15 miles, scholars say, from the residence of that tyrant. And so he wasn't trying, he, wasn't, he didn't go there because of fear. He went there because of his mission. And what we see is that the early part of his ministry, he began to call disciples. So if you have, if you have your scripture, whether it's electronically or paper, I'd love for you to look at these simple verses. They will not be on the screen at first, but I just want, to, just want to read this in its context, and then we'll get the applications and the teaching. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed them. The beautiful thing that I think that the, we see in this passage of Scripture, which is probably the most obvious, is that Jesus uses ordinary people to accomplish his kingdom vision. He uses ordinary people. Again, you knew who the scribes, Pharisees, those, you knew who the, the A students were, you knew those that were going through the, 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 the rabbinical order, the, those that were the challenged ones that, to, to become a rabbi, and you just had that. You knew what was going on. It's sort of like, like the... Uh, the percentages of, per, of college athletes that come out of high school, right? And then the percentage of professional athletes that come out of the college. I mean, you just keep getting more and more elite. So you kind of, you had that mindset. You know, if you weren't very studious or whatever, you, you know, you, you, you did your schooling, but you probably knew and maybe didn't even aspire uh, to be a rabbi. But nonetheless, that was the 
ultimate of calls. The ultimate of calls would be to be a young man called to be a rabbi. Your family, your family lineage could never be more proud of who you are than to be called a rabbi. But what we see is on this scene, Jesus now uses ordinary people. I like how he states, they were casting nets, for they were fishermen. Okay? They were fishermen. I love how Matthew puts out what they were. Oh, you know, I am a chemist. I am a scientist. I am a truck driver. I am this, right? Identity. Their identity, their family identity, as we see in this, this passage, was around the family trade. That's what they did, and they did it well, and they learned. They learned the business acumen. They learned customer service, or they learned how to really cuss on a ship. I'm not quite sure we don't have a record of it, but these were earthy guys. These were hardworking people. If you ever watch on the, on the, the, you know, on the tube, these, these fishing shows, you're like, man, those are earthy guys, and I think you can take those personas and those personality types and all of that, you can go, Jesus called them yes just like he called you and me you see because jesus comes onto the scene and now the new king right that's what we're going to learn through the entirety of matthew is is that the new king the king has come repent for the kingdom is near repent for the kingdom is at hand christ begins to say the kingdom has come and then he's indicted and nailed to a tree because he had the audacity to say and elude and even project in silence that he was king and then that king dies for all of his kingdom so that three days later they would be renewed and understand what it really truly is to be a king who loves his people enough to die for them the most peculiar point probably in christian apologetics is that jesus died for us and then as reigning king conquered sin and death, and with that then rose again, and then promised a new kingdom, a new Jerusalem to come. You see, he could have easily gone to Jerusalem and started his ministry, but he went north. But we know that through the Gospels that he always had his eye on Jerusalem. He knew what Jerusalem meant as he and his family would travel there for Passover. As he knew, can you imagine knowing your mission that one day you're going to come because the Heavenly Father has got a mission for you. And through that now your mission, while on earth, coming to the flesh, right? Coming down to us, the one who was seen as a nobody came for everybody so that we could all be somebody. And so with that, he comes down and he begins his ministry. And he doesn't go to the tie-in wherein professionals. Matter of fact, he and John, he, they got into some fisticuffs with the professionals who had allowed righteousness to become watered down. Jesus comes onto the scene. John comes on the scene, calls them a brood of vipers. says, where's the fruit? Produce the fruit of righteousness. We see Matthew giving this thread of righteousness as those of you that are reading through the gospel, you'll see the righteousness of his father, Joseph, his earthly father, his stepdad, we don't know much about the man, but in one description, one, one sentence that says that Joseph was a righteous man, that gives you the indication that in the Jewish culture, this was a man of honor. This is one who was determined, who was determined to be righteous. 
Some of us kind of, kind of flail in and out of righteousness in our life. Of course, God would want better for us in this journey. But we kind of flail and we kind of do this. And, oh, God, I promise that we come back and we're righteous. And then we flail. When it says Joseph was a righteous man, it means that his steps were determined. He was a determined man. His focus, his smart goals, right, everything were penetrating on how to be righteous. Remember, he was going to divorce her quietly. That was all righteousness. When you see just that little bit of Joseph, righteousness. When you see John the Baptist, just the opening story of, of, of Matthew, right? He's talking to primarily a Jewish audience. We get the benefit 2,000 later, 2,000 years later of seeing his agenda. He says that John confronts them on their righteousness. Now the righteous king, the one who created it, set it within our hearts, and is now going to emulate it as the God-man is on the scene, and he is now calling. Now think about this. He's now calling ordinary people like you and like me to be leaders of righteousness. Leaders of righteousness. He says, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And it says that once they left their nets and followed him. I think we can trust that Matthew, when you read his gospel, there are time gaps. When I was younger, I was like, man, that's pretty cool. I mean, they just meet Jesus and then they go. There's time there. John in chapter 1 hints to for us that, the, that he knew them. He observed them. He watched them. He vetted them in only the way that the Savior can. And and when you see Peter, you're like, man, Jesus must not have been a very good vetter, right? I mean, no, no. I'm going to say to you that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing with us. Are you questioning what God is trying to do in your family? Are you questioning what he's trying to do in you? Have you just gotten comfortable with the uncomfortableness of knowing or ever understanding what Christ is going to do in and through you? He is not confused at all. He knows us. He knows exactly what he wants to continue to do through us. Jesus uses ordinary people in such extraordinary ways to accomplish his kingdom vision. Who would have thought that, that he would create something called the church filled with imperfect people in an imperfect world to present perfection so that everyone might be able to have the opportunity to be filled with the spirit and live righteously. Amazing what our king has done. You see, Jesus knows our current preparations, right? They were preparing their nets and they were, they were doing. Doing and preparing, preparing and doing. Doesn't that sound like our life? See, Jesus knows our current preparations are our greatest potential. Our greatest potential. Think about where you are. Students, think about where you are right now. Okay, I'm seventh grade. I'm a freshman, right? Adults, think of where you're at. Maybe you're 10 years into a life sentence that you're wondering, what in the world, what, what's going on? Work, marriage. doesn't even have to be negative. Just think about where you are. I can say that, that today, whatever we're preparing or doing is that which is going to serve God in using us in our potential. 
I don't know if I've ever told the young people. I probably have. I might even sit in here, but it, I think it's worth doing. There was a guy, I'll say it real quick, maybe, you know, two minutes. It was, it was this guy named Warren. He's sort of weird. Matter of fact, we kind of said to ourselves, he was weird Warren. You know, you know how we do, right? We have little nicknames for people, right? And so Weird Warren comes up to me. Well, stand up for a second. Weird Warren, Weird, Weird Warren comes to me one day, and he says, he, says, he says, so Tom, I'm like, I'm a freshman. Can you relate to that? A freshman in high school? Yeah, sort of, kind of, right? And, he, and, and so he, he's just a, he was a gentle man. He was beautiful, but he was sort of weird, right? So we kind of called him Weird Warren. And so Weird Warren goes, so Tom, you know, I was involved in the church. You kind of involved in your church? Yeah. So I was involved in the church. I, I didn't know what, you know. And he says, so Tom, do you... Are you going to be a pastor someday? Now, I'm telling you, I was probably very polite in my facial expression, but on the inside, I'm going, okay, Weird Warren has really gone weird. What is he talking about? And I said, because I didn't have any other words, I said, well, Mr. Flance, I, I'm probably going to have to think about that. Then he got weirder, more weird, whatever the proper English is, right? Learn it in English this week and tell me next week. He says, oh, oh, that's, that's not something you, you think about. I walked away from that conversation going, okay, right? Not only did he get weird, he got like three times weird, right? I had no clue what he was talking about. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that to you, but since I put you on the spot, <laughs> I'm just going to ask, are you going to commit to being a follower of Jesus? I sort of know your family. I sort of know your commitment to Christ. I see you doing Bible stuff. I see you doing teenager stuff, right? But I'm going to have you be, if I could stand up and look everybody in the eye this morning, right? Not some extra calling like Warren was asking. I don't want to be weird, Tom, already you're going, no, you've really broken the code on this one. <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to ask you, are you going to follow him? Don't answer me. Are you going to follow him? Are you going to take your belief and really follow him? That's what I'm asking everybody and looking in a mirror to myself today. Thank you. Don't put a contract out for my life later, okay? <laughs> you see, he, 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 he comes and he says, listen, you're, what you're doing now is the continuation of the call that I have on your life to keep following me. It's something to, to say, well, I don't know why. Why am I going through this crisis? I mean, why? I mean, have you ever lived in a season, adults, where it's like that falls through, that falls through, that falls You're going, what in the world is going on? Or you're saying, man, I had this plan, and the plan didn't go right, or whatever. I'm suggesting to us, it's easy to preach it. I've lived it. Everything is a preparation. Now, I'll also say to you, these ones that are in college, I took Spanish, I took two years of Spanish in high school, and I got to college, I thought, okay, I, I should whip through this. It kicked my, you know what, educationally, I was like, holy cow, this is a total different level of Spanish. And, and, and I dropped out of Spanish. Now, let me just put this math together of how this works. Your greatest struggle, adults, your greatest struggle right now is a preparation for the future, although you feel like a failure now. 
Who would have thought that Weird Warren would make a call? I mean, ask me that, right? And then I'd end up in New Mexico. What's the second primary language in New Mexico? Okay? Now, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if I would have heard this message, if I would have had a well-meaning understanding of what Tom is trying to say today, is that even in the struggle today, even the thing that we're the most mad at, the angst, the thing that we're getting the biggest stretch, everything is a preparation. And those, I have a choice. I can say no, yes, drop out, do this. And Jesus is looking at Peter and Andrew and James and John with a different set of mindset. He's like, you don't have to think about what you've done as much as know that now I, everything that you've done has prepared you for this. And then this, and then this. And in that, there's nothing wasted. Nothing. My sin, you wasted your time. Do you realize sin for Christians is a waste of time? Waste of opportunity? Waste of potential? Continuous negative thinking? We keep beating ourselves up in guilt-shame cycles? And what does it do? It just puts us on pause. And our Savior's going, can I just keep pushing play in your life? Can we just push play? Stop pausing. Let's push play. And then how do we feel when we get like through a, like a, cassette tape right we get through a whole side that's for the older people you get like through a whole side and you're like man I feel good I got through that whole tape right that's what Jesus is presenting you see each of them would have gone through I just want to go through this quickly but each of them would have gone through typical education typical typical understanding because the power of their calling of being ordinary guys is that Christ knew Christ knew Jesus knew that their preparation wasn't seen as the oh, preparation. It was just preparation. It's just life. Have you ever just lived life? You compare yourself to someone else who's more advanced or got a bigger contract at the, at the labs or whatever. You're like, well, how, how they're so lucky, right? Don't minimize it. God is saying where you're at and your preparations and what you're practicing, whether you're mending or fixing or preparing or doing, it is for the future. You see, these disciples, future disciples, the ones being called, were not failures. But they had gone through a process that might have said that they were a failure. You see, young men would go from 10 to 14, excuse me, would go from uh, 6 to 10, uh, Bet Sefer, it was the house of the book, and you from 6 to 10, age 6 to 10, you would be studying and memorizing the first five books of the Bible. Look at your neighbor and go, I am far behind. Right? We look at that. That's, that's, that's the norm. And then they would move on, and from, four, it's from 10 to 14 they would get to Bet Talmud. And, and at that point, they would memorize all 39 books of the Old Testament. Now, I just look at your neighbor and let's just, you know, ain't no way, right? I mean, just, I mean what in the world is that? I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. 
So then if you, if you mastered that and you were a good student and you desired, right, there's, there's not a person, you know, there's not a family that would not want their boy to be called to be a rabbi, right? And so they would go and they would say, Rabbi, I want to become your disciple. Please let me into your midrash, your house of study. That would mean that they would follow that rabbi in his teaching and his opinions and they would emulate him. And then... If they didn't have the aptitude, the, the Jewish rabbi, the rabbi would say, no, go to your family business, have children, enjoy life God gave us, and in only a way a rabbi could probably say it, and then if you have children, maybe they could become a rabbi. Ouch. So it doesn't stop in the DNA. Maybe they'll have the aptitude. And so you went and you plied the family trade. Nothing wrong with that. But it wasn't the ultimate. It wasn't to then get to Bet Mirash, where you are, you are now under the rabbi's yoke. Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You see, under the yoke of the rabbi, then you follow him. And you speak like he speaks, you answer like he answers, you argue like he, you debate like he does, you look like your rabbis. Matter of fact, many of you that in professional studies or, or you know, certain languages of groups and so forth, you can kind of know where a person is from or you know what a person has studied. And then if you know what a person has studied, then you know who they've studied under. And say, oh, well, that's this or oh, that's that. Oh, I can tell that you're this. Easiest, cheapest way of illustrating is you kind of sometimes know political language, right? Like, oh, well, they're this or they're that. You see, you would follow that rabbi. And in following that rabbi, you would then be given permission. If you ask the rabbi the question, they say, no, you know what you're doing. But if they say yes, they say, come follow me. Come follow me. Also, it's been said that they would say, be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Be covered in the dust of your rabbi. You see, if you are following the rabbi, it's an insinuation that you're so close to the rabbi that as the rabbi walks along the street, the dust from his feet are on you. You're filled with the filth, right? The dust you're filled with just the knowing, the, the covering of the one that you're following. And so you would then do everything that the rabbi does because you're under his school, his yoke. You see, what we learn is that Jesus desires for us and calls us to, to pour ourselves into others so that they too will follow him. You see, as we follow closely with the rabbi, then others cannot help but see us and know that, that we follow Jesus in the way that we talk, in the way that we act, the way that we look, the way that we respond to things, the way that we debate, the way that we argue, the way that we get angry. You see, when we follow the righteous king, that as we follow him, it's amazing how the pig pen effect, right? Charles Schultz, the way that the dirt comes onto us from the dust of the rabbi 
that no one can question who we follow. So that's why I ask Corbin, as I ask each of us today from this text, how close do we commit to following the rabbi and not letting a gap, maybe even making click his heels every once, oh, sorry, 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 rabbi, that we are so close to our Jesus that our righteous life that Matthew's going to outline would look like Jesus. That when we speak, people go, Jesus person. When we act, oh, look at the graciousness. When we confront, wow, they spoke a truth, but they, they were angry, but they didn't sin. You see, that is the goal that Matthew is desiring to, to teach us, to say ordinary people, he uses ordinary people, and that through that, then they get followers, they disciple, and they get their own students. And it's amazing how our New Testament, some of the very written words that have been preserved for 2,000 years that we believe has been ordained by the Holy Spirit, were written from men that said, there ain't no way I can catch up. Let me just suggest to you that no matter how simple we are, as a matter of fact, what's one of the things that's sort of the amazement in over 30 years of ministry is how a person, even a simple learned person, a person that has self-talk that says, ah, I'm not a book person, how they go way north in such a short period of time when all they have is the Holy Spirit and Scripture. Only the Holy Spirit. Just the Holy Spirit. You see, he desires for us to get over ourselves on our ordinariness and lean into it, that every experience he's going to use and that we too can disciple one another. Jesus uses ordinary people to accomplish his kingdom vision. Jesus knows our current preparations are of our greatest potential. And Jesus calls us to pour ourselves into others so that they too will follow him and maybe get a little dirty in his dust. Father, thank you for your words from Matthew. Thank you for reminding us of the beauty of average and ordinary and how you continue to use us to make an impact. I thank you for this body of ordinary people and the power of their impact in such simple ways. I thank you for their commitment to you. I thank you for their study of Scripture, no matter how inadequate they feel, Father, I just pray that they would lean into that discipline and allow that dust to come upon them. And then, Father, I pray that each of us might have as our goal, not, not just a resolve for a new year, but a commitment of righteousness for a lifetime. That we would not let a gap come between following our Jesus but that we are right on his heels. God, may your spirit continue to teach us and guide us and counsel us. May we be so sensitive to your spirit's nudging and prompting to this calling. And may we be obedient to that task. God, we thank you for our rabbi Jesus. Amen.